Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. But thank you so much for allowing me to preach here today. I'll tell you, it's it's an honor to stand here. I go back and I think about the probably one of the first memories I have as a child. And it goes back to that old building. And it was, I was probably three, maybe four years old. And we had a Saturday night prayer meeting. And I remember, Sister Pam, I remember Mom and Dad, we were, we were there. We opened the doors. We closed the doors. And I remember in that prayer meeting, I remember sun was just getting ready to set. It was probably midsummer. And I remember it had those deep window wells, Brother Burke. And as a three or four-year-old, the only safe place that your parents could put you that you wouldn't wander was in the window wells because it was too high that you'd fall out. And so you just hung out there. And I remember sitting in those window wells, and I remember hearing the prayers of that church just begin to go forth. And one of the fondest memories I have as a child is going back to that place in that window well, thanking God every day of my life that that's one of the memories I start my life with that I was able to be raised in the house of God, that I was able to have a love for the house of God and for prayer and for the word. I thank God for it because without that, I wouldn't be standing here today. I've gone through a lot in my life and I thank God that it's always been the prayers and it's always been his word that has sustained me. And I thank God for it. I thank God for it. I want to turn your attentions to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 21. It's a familiar passage to some, but Paul's writing here to the church in Corinth. And in verse 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Jesus crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul said it, he said, it doesn't make sense to the Jews, he said, and to the, to the Greeks or the Gentiles, he said, it seems almost foolishness, he said, but nonetheless, he said, we preach Jesus. He said, even when nobody else understands it, he said, because to those who are called, and the word of God says many are called, so he said that there's still that call going forth to the world around him, and he said, so nonetheless, he said, it may not make sense to you now, he said, but when you recognize who Jesus is, he said, we preach Jesus. We don't do anything else, he said, we don't have gimmicks, we don't have anything else to offer you, the only thing I have to you is we preach Jesus. Jesus. Because that's all I need. 
That's all I need. If you would lift your hands with me. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're already doing in this place today. God, your presence is so strong here today. God, so I'm asking, Lord, that you would help me to disappear today, God, and that your presence would shine forth. God, let every word that's spoken today, I pray, Father, let it be according to your will. God, I need you to move in this place today. God, not on my own behalf, but God, I'm asking that you would do it today. God, that you would have your will accomplished in this place. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're going to accomplish in this place today. God, let every heart and mind be open to receive what you have for them today, and we will give you all the glory and the honor for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. Clap your hands as you are seated today. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It is an honor to stand in this pulpit today because there's so many friends that are here that go back many, many, many years. I, I, but Titus, it's kind of weird to say that we go back probably close to 30 years now. That makes me feel really old. But I have fond memories, not only of this church and not only of church family, but just so many things that go back. I, I look back that your pastor's wife went, went mom mode on me uh, when we were just young. Titus and I were downstairs, wanted to lift weights that were well beyond our our capabilities, and as we started to do so, some of the weights slipped off, landed on my foot, broke a couple toes in the basement, and before I know it, Sister Burke is downstairs picking me up, carrying me up the stairs, and I'm realizing in this moment, I'm like, she's carrying me all the way up. I'm thinking she's just going to help me a little bit. No, she picked me up and got me all the way up there. And I think back to myself, I'm like, you know, there's still days I may ask you to carry me up. But so many good memories here. It's an honor to stand because so many times you think to yourself, we had our youth convention last week, and what an incredible time that we had in Springfield, Illinois, and God did so many incredible things. And, and I think to myself, Brother Burke, so many people came up and they said, you know, I don't know what it's worth. They said, but, you know, I remember when you were this tall, and I think to myself, you don't know what it's worth to me to know that I have the privilege of standing here today, not because of any position, but because of the fact that God trusts me to be able to now pour into your children and pour into your families and allow me the opportunity to do it. So I stand here today saying all of that. I stand here today honored to be here today because it is not something I take lightly. I handle the word of God with care because it is a life-changing authority in our life. When Paul wrote what he did to the church in Corinth, he understood where everyone was. He said the Jews demand a sign. He said the Greeks, he said they need, he said they need logic, they need wisdom. He said they, he said they are wanting something, this philosophical idea. In the Greco-Roman culture, there were two schools of thought that were present in that world. Because the Jews held very strongly to the Mosaic Law, and they held very strongly to what we know now as the Old Testament Law. And so there was a lot of things there that the old prophets that had prophesied about a coming Messiah. And so the Jews had latched on to this, and that they had built in their own mind what this Messiah would look like. And the Jews said, this is what it will be. And so they said, in order for this to take place, this is what it has to look like. Well, the, the Greeks, and that's a broad term there that refers to the Gentiles, those that are non-Jews, us, essentially. That what had happened in the church culture there, and I promise we're going to get somewhere, but I want to lay a foundation. What had happened in the church culture 
amongst the Gentiles is that they had taken the spirituality of the Jews, and, but then they also took the philosophy of the world, and they started to blend them together to try to make it more palatable for everyone else around them. And so at that point in time, they're beginning to lean on what we now know as the logos, the ethos, and the pathos, as these things that there's the logic, there's the emotion, and then there's the ethics or the credibility of something. They said, this is what it has to be in order for it to make sense to us. And so when Paul begins to write, he said, they're looking for this. He said, but it was only by the foolishness of preaching. And that doesn't mean that the preacher was, was the court jester or the fool of the town, but in fact, what he was doing was he was bringing an, an eternal word that didn't make sense to the world around them. And so they said, this is foolishness to all of us. But to those that had experienced the power of God, they said, no, 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 it's not foolishness. They said, but in fact, they said, this is something that is transformative in our life. They said, this isn't foolishness if you understand that what Paul is preaching is an age-old message that goes back all the way back to Genesis. He said, this is the plan of God laid out and you get to be a part of it. And so Paul says, you have to understand because Paul, if you you know a little bit about him, he's a Jew himself. And he studied under Gamaliel and he studied under all of the great, under the great rabbis. And so Paul knew the law better than anyone. He could probably outquote it for anyone else around him. So he understood what the Jews were looking for. He got it. And I think if I, if, if I may project a little bit, maybe of, of at least if I were Paul, what I'm thinking in this time that I'm writing, he said, the Jews are looking for a sign. But if I'm Paul, I want to tell the Jews, have you forgotten that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, and the Lord himself will give you a sign. He said, and he said, and the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and you will also call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He said, if you were looking for a sign, he said, when you see Jesus, you got it. He said, if you're looking for this miraculous sign, he said, all you need is Jesus. He said, because he is the fulfillment of the signs that you're looking for. So if you're the one that's chasing the signs and miracles and wonders, can I tell you, chase Jesus because he is the sign. And when you follow him, these miracles follow them that believe in him. And so it was the sign that they missed that it was Jesus himself. They said, we're looking for a sign. We need it. The Greeks looking for the philosophy. They're looking for someone to wow them with the wisdom of the world. And they said, oh no, you don't understand. They said, because they were so wrapped up in humanity's thoughts. And and what do you think about this? And, And what's your thoughts on this? And so they begin to portray that religion had to have this mix of philosophy in there in order to make it palatable, in order to make it credible to stand up on its own. But can I tell you, God's never needed anybody to prop him up. God's never needed human logic to be able to to say this is actually how it works. He doesn't need to be more palatable to anybody. Jesus Christ is more than enough for the world around him. And so yet they were, they're looking for this, for this concept. 
And they see it that even whenever Pilate, right before he sentences Jesus to death, they're looking for this king that's going to wow them, that's going to do all these things. And Pilate takes the sign over Jesus' head and he says, King of the Jews. Now the Jews said, please don't write it that way. You can't write it that way because there, there's some logic that goes back there that they're saying, the way that you're spelling this out, they said, you, you can't do it this way. But to the Greeks, they're okay with it. They said, well, it's the king of the Jews. Not my king. Because my king wouldn't die on a cross. That doesn't make sense. My king wouldn't stand for the mocking and the jeering of him. My king wouldn't take stripes upon his back. My king wouldn't allow the guards to nail him to the cross and allow him to be smitten across the face and his beard plucked out. My king wouldn't allow that to happen. But what they missed is that Paul later writes to Timothy, he said, this is the one, he said, that Jesus right there, he said, he is the king above all kings. Revelation, John writes about it, and he says that he's coming, he said, and on his robe is written king of kings and lord of lords. He said, you see, the Jesus that's coming back to this world that's going to rapture his church out of here, he said, he was the king that the Greeks missed. And so it didn't make sense it didn't make sense to them because they said no. They said, when you stop and think about the wisdom of the world, they said, Jesus doesn't line up with the wisdom of the world. It didn't make sense to any of them. But can I tell you, they were so wrapped up in their ideas that they missed the big idea because in John 1 and 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. Now you go back and you find out that whenever John writes this in the Greek, the word that he uses there when he says in the beginning was the Word, he's saying in the beginning was the logos, the idea, the concept that God had for all of the plan of eternity. He said at the very beginning, Brother Timothy, whenever we were in Genesis, God said, I have a plan. I have an idea. I have a thought. He said, and so while you're stuck on your thoughts, he said, allow me to present to you my thoughts. At the very beginning of creation, John echoes the words of Moses writing Genesis, and he says, in the beginning, before everything else existed, the idea or the thought came to mind. That God said, this is my plan. And then in John 1.14 it says, And the word, the logos, the idea, the concept became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can I tell you, we can have some great ideas, and we can have some great thoughts, and we can begin to debate back and forth whose idea is better. But whenever an idea comes to life and it sustains all of humanity, can I tell you, that supersedes any idea that I could ever have. That goes beyond any plan that I could ever control on my own. But in fact, it's God's plan that whenever his logos, his idea is played out in my life, whenever it's Jesus Christ alive inside of me, that is what changes the situation. Because I can have thoughts and ideas and plans and I can draft out my thoughts and say, God, this is what I think. And God says, but do you want to know my idea? Do you want to know my thoughts? He said, because my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He said, and there's some thoughts that I have towards you. He said, thoughts of, he said, thoughts of good and not of evil. He said, to give you a future and an expected end. He said, can I tell you what my thoughts are about you? He said, I understand what the world wants to try to do and wants to try to weave in that makes it a little bit more palatable. He said, but can I tell you, this is who I am. Whenever Jesus Christ became flesh. It didn't make sense. 
the logos. Or as the Greeks said, the logic. It didn't add up. Because this Jesus that was being preached was supposed to be, if he really is God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, if it's that God... Why would God put on flesh like you and I? And why would he allow himself to be tortured on a cross? Why would he allow the guards to, to just continuously beat him mercilessly until his back is in ribbons? Why would he allow them to do this? It doesn't make sense that this Jesus would allow this to happen. That doesn't make sense to me. And when you talk about the ethos, the emotion. Well, it's, it's the love of God that compelled him to do it. It's the love that he had that drew him so far away from humanity that he said, you know what? He said, even though it's going to hurt and even though I don't like how it feels, he said, it's the love that I have for you. He said, and it's that love that drew me in so far all the way from heaven. It was love that drew him from heaven all the way down to earth. That he said, I loved you enough. He said that I allowed myself, he said, to get into the emotion of what you feel and what you think. That's why Hebrews says we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities he said because he's been tempted in every point like as we are he said I allowed myself he said I wanted to feel what you feel in the middle of the night whenever depression and anxiety begins to walk into the room I want to feel what you feel whenever you have that lost loved one that you continuously pray for he said I want to feel what you feel when it's frustration and hurt and anxiety and depression and overwhelming feelings he said I want to feel what you feel so it doesn't make sense that this king, this Messiah would do this. Because this isn't the God that was preached in the Old Testament. He was a God that was so far removed. But can I tell you, you go back and you find out that same God that was preached in the Old Testament is still the same God that was preached in the New Testament because all the way back, His grace and mercy still flowed all the way through. We live in the era of grace, but grace was always a part of who He was. Love was always a part of who he was. The word of God says that God is love. And if the word of God says God is love, and his word also says that he changes not. So that means that all the way back at the very beginning of your situation, God was love. And even at the end of your situation, God is still love. He still loves. He still cares. He still reaches. It doesn't change just because of where you are. It doesn't change just based on personality or based on situation. God's love is the constant anchor that you can hold on to because God is love. And so he understands. He says, so to the Greeks, he said, I understand the logic and allow me to give it to you. He said, I understand the emotion. Allow me to give it to you. But then he said, what about the credibility? What about the credibility? How does, how does this match up? How does this line up? And can I tell you that he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He was the one that wrote... He said that it would be the blood of a spotless lamb that would wash away the sins of the world. And can I tell you that when John saw him coming a long way off, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Can I tell you, whenever you see the Lamb of God begin to walk your direction, can I tell you, nothing will ever be the same in that moment. 
when you see that prophet, when you see that great man of God, when you see Jesus Christ himself beginning to walk down your dusty road, I promise you this, you may not understand it and you may say it's too late, they're gone. It's too late, the situation's dead. But as long as Jesus is still walking down that old dusty road into your situation, it's never hopeless. It's never beyond reason. It's never beyond emotion. It's never beyond logic. God says, as long as you allow me to get on that dusty road heading your way, he said, there's a miracle coming your way. See, whenever you allow it to happen that way, it doesn't make sense in our own mind. Whenever we lean on our own understanding, God doesn't make sense. Because why would he love me in the state that I'm in? Because he doesn't just love you the way that you are, but he sees what you can be. And he sees your future and your expected end that he has for your life. And so he says, I love you where you are. He said, but I love you too much to leave you where you are. He said, because what I want to do in your situation, he said, I don't want to just pass by and you have a brief encounter with me. He said, I want to stop and I want to sup with you. He said, I want to be able to talk with you and have relationship with you. He said, because whenever that happens, something changes in your life this Jesus that we preach in every logic of the medical world doesn't make sense because a miracle is just that it's miraculous miracles don't make sense in this world can I tell you I wish you was sitting with me here today I promise you you are getting less of the three-fourths of my family that is all of those are the better half my wife, my two girls are sitting at home right now. That one, they're sick. They're battling the bug, apparently, that everybody is battling. And I'm not. It's okay. Just make sure we're all clear. But our youngest, we're fostering two sweet little girls right now. And I promise you, two cutest girls in the world. If you have girls, I promise you, yours rank a close second. But mine just happened to top it. Two little girls that we're fostering right now. We prayed a long time that God would allow us to be in a place that we could be a benefit. God would allow us to have children, but also we wanted to be a benefit for the kingdom of God. And so God in his wisdom and knowledge didn't allow us to have children biologically. And can I tell you, the medical science didn't add up because we went and got tested. We went through everything. We went through all of the treatments. We did everything we were supposed to do. And the doctors came back. They sat there in the room with us and they said, you're both perfectly healthy. You hear that? I've got medical proof we're healthy. They said we can have kids. And he goes, okay, cool. Thanks. And you know what I found out? That if we would have had children long before, we would have missed the opportunity to have these two sweet little girls in our home. Whenever we got custody of our two little girls, and I'll, I'll leave some of the details off because of the fact that fostering, there's a lot of legalities there that I will leave off to the other side. But when we got our custody of both of our girls, our youngest was in critical condition. She was at Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana. And when I received the phone call that evening from family, they said, You're, they said she's on life support and it's your decision to leave her on or take her off. I said, I just got custody not just hours ago. I said, I can't make a decision like that. I said, and until I can hold this sweet little girl, and until I can pray over her, I said, there will be no decisions made tonight. 
And we began to pray, and the church began to pray. And the doctors did not give a positive outlook. They said, in fact, they said the best outlook that they could give us was that she would be a vegetable the rest of her life. And I didn't understand what God was doing. I said, God, I said, you gave us children. I said, but I said, if this is what you want, I said, God, we'll do whatever we have to do. And the medical science didn't add up. And they told us, they said, there's a lot of things going on here. They said that she could be blind. They said that she could be unable to move. They said that she may be unresponsive completely to touch. They said there's just a lot of things there that they don't know what's going on. And so I went to church that Wednesday night. This was a Tuesday that we got custody of them. And the reason that I preach Jesus and nothing else is because he's a healer. Because I brought the need to the church that night and I said, church, I said, if I've ever asked you to pray, I said, you've always prayed about us having children. I said, well, guess what? God did it overnight in an instant. That's how God works. God is a suddenly God. He is a suddenly God. And let me tell you, suddenly two under two is a challenge. I learned how much I valued sleep. But I asked the church to pray, and I said, here's where we are. Here's what I need. And when I asked the church to pray, faith began to soar in the room. And I told my wife, I said, everything's going to be all right. I said, I don't know how, I don't know why, but everything's going to be all right. And the next morning, the doctor calls me, and she says, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I don't know what happened overnight. I said, oh, let me tell you what happened overnight. She said, all of a sudden, she said, I don't know what's going on. She said, but she's awake. She's alert on her own. We didn't have to wake her up. She's alert. I said, thank God, tell me a little bit more. And she said, she's opened her eyes, and she's following us around the room. So that means she can see now. I said, what else? And she said, we're touching, she said, and she's responding to touch. She said, so everything that we thought was damaged, I said, has been restored. That's all right. Go ahead. And so I began to watch God just begin to move and begin to work a little bit for a little girl that I've never even held in my own hands. And I said, but God, you held her long before I could ever put my hands on her. I said, God, long before I could ever hold her, you held her for me. So this is why I preach Jesus. I got a phone call that Friday morning. She was still on a feeding tube. And they said, the, doctor, the nurse called me Friday morning about 7.30 in the morning. She said, Adam, I just wanted to tell you, she said, she's still on the feeding tube. The doctor wants you and your wife to come up and train, know how to take this in and out so that you'd be able to do this for her. And I said, okay. I said, you'll have to forgive me. I said, but I've never had to say this before. I've got to find a babysitter. <laughs> so we began to, began to work everything out. Thank God, my in-laws. I thank God for in-laws. Say what you want about yours, but I love mine. <laughs> They showed up and they said, we, they said, we'll stay with your oldest. They said, you go on, you get to Indianapolis. Before we can even pack up the car or do anything else, the doctor calls me. And whenever I got off the phone with the nurse, I stood there in my bedroom and I just said, God, I didn't have this soaring faith in this moment because even though he had done some great things, I said, God, I said, you've never stopped short before. I said, don't start now on my little girl. I said, I need you to go the whole way if you can do it. And so we began to get all of our things together, and it was just a couple hours later, the doctor calls me, and she says, is this Adam? I said, it is. She said, I wanted to talk to you about your little girl. I said, well, the nurse just called me a little bit ago. She said, I don't know what she told you, 
She said, but I'm looking over her medical chart here. I said, okay. She said, I don't show any signs of neurological issues. She said, I don't show any vision impairment. She said, I don't show any physiological issues responding to touch or immobility. She said, Adam, she said, this little girl looks like she's in great shape. And I said, what about the feeding tube? She goes, Adam, she just finished a bottle on her own. I don't know what happened. I said, let me tell you, in just a couple hours, God walked in the hospital room and God said, what I started, I'm going to finish. See, because what I'm telling you is I preach Jesus because he is still a healer. It wasn't just the Old Testament. It wasn't just back in Bible times. But can I tell you, the God that said I heal, he still does it today. The God that said that there's healing virtue in his wings, he said it's still there to cover you today. He said the power that I exercised way back then, he said I still speak life today. Even though in your situation you don't understand it, and even though it may not make sense to you, he said if you'll allow me to do it, he said, allow me to be Jesus in your life. Not just the God that pulls you out of the mess and then you walk away. He said, allow me to be Jesus that walks with you every day. Because the reason Paul said, I preach Jesus, is because he said, there's, he's done too much for me. He said, that I've, I've got to tell it all. He said, I've got to tell everybody. I've got to tell everything. He said, he's done so much for me. He said, that the only thing I can do is preach Jesus. Because it was just prior verses that Paul told the Corinthian church. He said, I don't come to you with man's wisdom or enticing words. He said, because I don't have it. The only thing Paul could preach was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And can I tell you this? That that Jesus that was preached is still the same one today that changes lives, that breaks chains of addiction. It's still the same Jesus that heals sick bodies. It's still the same Jesus that meets you in the middle of the night and he brings a peace that passes all understanding. It's still the same Jesus that he walks into a hospital room and he raises the dead and he brings them back to life. It's still the same Jesus that in the midst of your trials and in the midst of your circumstance, he said, it's still my love that's pulling and calling you from a long way off. He said, that's who I want to be in your life. His life here on earth was one of the most controversial lives to history to date. The people will argue about the life of Jesus Christ. They want to know, was he just a good man that walked in this earth? Was it one that just, he was around and maybe that there were some good things that happened while he was here? Because the Jesus that was preached, if he really did live... And he healed blinded eyes and he unstopped deaf ears. If this Jesus that truly was alive and he was the one that called the lame to walk, if he was the one that defied the very physics, the laws of physics that he wrote himself and he began to step out and walk on water, if it's that same Jesus that was the one that called Lazarus from being dead a few days and said, Lazarus, come forth. If it's the same Jesus that was the one that he began to move and even though he didn't even have to speak the words but sometimes there was enough radiance and glory flowing through him and healing virtue in his body that even just the simple touch of his garment would heal somebody that passed by. It's those moments that you sit back and you go, if that Jesus really was the one, if he really was the one to die on a cross, if he really was the one that was buried in a tomb, then the world stops back and thinks, who did we crucify? See, because it's easier to associate that we crucified a lunatic. 
It's easier to say that we crucified just some random prophet that claimed to be God. It's easier to say that we crucified the one that was going to end up turning the world upside down. Well, guess what you did? We crucified the one that was prophesied by great prophets of old that he would come. We are the ones that we crucified. The world crucified this Jesus that healed and restored. It was this Jesus that never did any harm. It was this Jesus that with compassion in his eyes would heal and that with love in his heart would reach. It was this Jesus that we crucified him. We buried him in a tomb. And then maybe one, even one of the greater controversies of his life. But three days later, he gets up again. Because it was Jesus Christ that said, he said, when I'm dead, he said, I'm not just laying there. He said, but I've got some work to take care of while I'm there. He said, because I'm the only one that can do this. He said that in the midst of death, he said, I will go down and I will conquer death, hell, and the grave. He said that whenever I was dead and gone, he said, everybody else thought the story was over. But in fact, he said, there's just an ellipsis there that says, hang on for the next chapter because there's something greater that's coming. Can I tell you, whenever Jesus Christ died, he left all all the hopes of humanity sealed up in a tomb. But can I tell you on that third day, that stone started to roll away. And the minute that he sat up and his feet hit the floor, all of a sudden, all of hell and the rest of the world knew everything changed on this day. The reason we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified isn't the fact that we stop at the crucifixion, but I preach Jesus that he conquered death for my life. That he said, no longer does death have the power over you. He said, but in fact, he said, I conquered hell so hell is no longer the thing that holds you back it's no longer the thing that keeps your family back he said I was the one that conquered the grave that that's not the finality of who you are he said that's who I am when Jesus Christ awoke on that third day and his feet planted firmly on the ground all of a sudden all of hell began to shake a little bit. Because you see what happened in that moment is while they're having a party thinking everything's over and they said, we got him. They said he's down for the count. One, two, three. And all of a sudden everything started to shake. The world, word of God says that the earth began to tremble just a little bit. I believe that everything from the earth down all the way down into the very pits of hell began to shake and it began to rattle the kingdom of darkness because they said, we think we might have lost this one. We, this one isn't over. We thought that it was. And can I tell you the reason why Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, he said, it's upon this rock that I will build my church. The rock that he was talking about wasn't Peter, but it was the acknowledgement that Peter made. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, whenever you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, that he is the one true living God, not the second in the Trinity. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good man that the Quran writes about. But can I tell you, when you preach Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh and justified in the spirit, when you preach Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you're preaching the power of God unto salvation. And so now when Jesus gives Peter, he says, he says, flesh and bone hasn't revealed that to you. He said, that was God that did that through you, Peter. He said, and guess what? He said, that revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He said, that is what I'll build my church on. And can I tell you, he was speaking prophetically there because he told Peter, he said, and guess what? He said, that's what I build my church on. He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
So many times we stop, we step back and we think that hell's banging down the gates of our own home and our own life. I'm here to tell you, if you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and you have repented of your sins and been baptized in Jesus' name, received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, if you've received that revelation in your life, then can I tell you, hell's not banging on your door, but in fact, you're the enemy at the gates at that point in time. You're the one telling hell, I refuse to let you take my loved ones. I refuse to let you take my joy. I refuse to let you take my peace. I refuse to let you. The gates of hell will not prevail because I am the church. And so everything that hell's tried to take from me, can I tell you, I'm coming back for it. And I don't do that on my own might. I don't do it on my own strength. But it's by the Spirit of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. We preach Jesus because the power of the cross still saves I have never seen anyone come up to an altar that's been blood-bought and repented of their sins and baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I've never seen him walk away from them and just say, it's all on you now. But in fact, it still saves from addiction. It still saves from bondage. It still saves from all of the generational curses that try to plague every family. Can I tell you, the power of the cross is that every sin that you've ever battled in your life was nailed to an old rugged tree. And so now no longer it's your battle, but in fact, it's one that he's already fought for you. The only thing you need is Jesus Christ and him crucified. You're not fighting on your own. You're not doing this by yourself but in fact you have a host of angel armies and you have the God himself that begins to fight your battles you don't do this thing on your own whenever you stop and think about what God wants to accomplish in your life everything that you are and everything that you've been through you say yeah but you don't understand Adam, I've been through a lot. Can I tell you? I don't discount what you've been through. And in fact, I pray and I thank God that even in spite of what you've been through, you're here today. I thank God that you have continued to press on, maybe through some difficult circumstances. I thank God that you didn't always understand it. But you know what? You're here today. So no matter what hell tries to tell you, you're here right now in this moment. And so no matter what you have battled through in all of this, can I tell you, Jesus Christ is still enough. Jesus Christ is still enough. And it doesn't matter how many times you come back to him because can I tell you, his grace is new every morning and his mercies are new every morning. And so every day that I wake up, there's always a plentiful amount of grace and mercy and love that's poured out over my life. Can I tell you that it was God. It was God that said, I gave you me. Not some theophany, not some form of me. He said, but I gave you me. He said, everything that I am. He said, my spirit, because it was that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now the same spirit that can dwell inside of you. But all the way back, when that lifeless human body laid in a tomb, that spirit of God swept into that tomb. 
and I feel the Holy Ghost moving in here right now. That lifeless body that laid there in a tomb, dead for three days, and at this point in time, the body probably started to maybe even decay a little bit. Can I tell you, it was the Spirit of God that all of a sudden moved into that tomb, and it moved on the body of Jesus Christ, and it sat him up again, and all of a sudden, it was that same Spirit that raised him from the dead. That is what you have the opportunity to experience today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, but can I tell you, that Spirit never grows old, it never wanes, it never backs up, it never gets uh, accustomed to me, but every time the Spirit of God moves into the room, something begins to happen and my heart is changed and my mind is impacted and everything around me because the atmosphere itself even begins to change because when God steps in, everything changes. Everything changes. I preach Jesus to you today. Because he's the only one that can do it. There's no program in the world that can fix some of the problems that humanity has. We can't find the cure for cancer, but can I tell you, I found the cure to the disease of my soul. And I found the cure, and I found the answer to some of the problems that I have faced in my life. I preach Jesus to you today. I'm going to ask the musicians to come as I draw to a close. What Jesus Christ is... To me, he's the one that restored my mind when I thought it was gone. He's the one that came alongside me in my marriage and he said, son, let me show you how to be a good husband. He's the one that came alongside me and said, son, let me show you how to be a good dad. He's the one that came alongside me whenever I didn't feel like I had an ounce of joy left in me. He was the one that it was the joy of my salvation that began to wash from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And then I've been in moments in my life where I should not have had joy in my life and I could take you back to the place where the Spirit of God moved in. And I sat there in the joy of the Lord just begin to wash over me and I begin to laugh under the joy and the power of the Holy Ghost I sat in moments in my life where I should not have been and can I tell you I watched the hand of God begin to sweep me up and he carried me into places that I thought that I would never go in my life even though I thought if I look back over my life I go God I don't deserve to be here and he said but you found me he said and I wasn't looking at what you were he said I was looking at what I wanted you to be he said there was a hope that was inside of you he said and son he said I walked you a long way to get you here I wholeheartedly believe that God brought me to this place today to preach Jesus into your life because we always need a little bit more of Jesus I've never, never gotten to a place where I said I think I'm good, I'm okay but every morning that I wake up I need Jesus Christ because I cannot do this on my own I cannot walk this life on my own unless I have Jesus Paul wrote in Colossians, he said, to them, talking about the Greeks and the Gentiles, he said, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is that mystery? Paul said, which is Christ in you. The hope. The hope. The hope of glory. One day, oh God, one day the eastern sky is going to split and the trump of God will sound 
and God will rapture his church away and one day I will finally get to see the glory of God face to face the glory of God that I have felt all of my life all 34 years I have felt the glory of God pass by me and I've seen his radiance upon my face and on the faces of those around me and I've felt it so strong but never will I have ever seen what I have hoped for for all of my life and that is one day to stand in heaven as the gates open to me and he calls me and he says well done thou good and faithful servant that's the hope of glory that's within us that's not a fairy tale it's not a fable of something that we long for and maybe one day could happen but in fact it's what you have access to today you have access to the very hope of glory stand with me all across this place Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 see he says so as much as is in me he said I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome and I think if he were writing he would still say to you who are in Bethalto he said I'm ready I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to everyone around me. He said, I'm ready to do this. He said, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He said, ready for this? The Jew first, the ones that needed the sign. He said, I didn't forget about them. He said, it still goes back to the Jews. He said, but then also for the Greek, that's us. That's us, those who were grafted into the vine, those that were brought in, even though we may not have been part of the original lineage. God said, I rewrote your story before it ever happened. He said, and I brought you into the fold. He said, so that's why Paul said, I'm eager. I'm ready to preach the gospel. He said, because it's the gospel that's the power of God. The gospel is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul anticipated preaching the gospel. It was because it's the life-changing message that he had seen so many lives transformed and he had watched as so many things had taken place under the power of the gospel. And finally in verse 17 he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And you say, yeah, but you don't understand what I've been through. I don't bring a lot to the table. That's good. Because he's not looking for you to bring a lot. He's looking for you to bring the broken pieces. He's looking for you to bring the hurting heart. He's looking for you to bring the troubled mind. He's looking for you to bring the destitute family. He's looking for you to bring all of the broken pieces together and you place it in his nail-scarred hands and you say, this is all I have. But you know what? As long as you have the broken pieces and the faith, what that does is it mends everything back together and the potter himself begins to refashion everything a part of your life. When you bring the broken pieces to him, it's faith that's the glue that brings it all back together. And he says, you're going to go from faith to faith 
life. He said, because there still may be troubles in your life. He said, but I promise you this. He said, as long as I'm there in the midst of it, he said, we don't have to go through these deep lows and these high highs. He said, but can I tell you, he said, we're going to go from faith to faith, from prophetic word to prophetic word, from anointing to anointing, from revival to restoration. Can I tell you, when you go from faith to faith, everything that God wants to accomplish in your life is hinging on one fact, and it's you saying, God, whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. God, whatever you want in my life, God, I'm bringing it to you today. You see, the power of the gospel is so alive in this room, even right now. The presence of God is so strong. As we were worshiping earlier, Brother Burke and I was reluctant to share this. I was standing there. And as I was standing there, I closed my eyes and God began to show me as we're worshiping. He said, there's a host of angel armies. He said, it's standing in this room right now. And he said, they're standing watch that everything that maybe you felt like you were going to battle against. He said, no, no, no. He said, I set them at guard for you right now so that you can accomplish what you need to do in this room today. He said, there's no condemnation. There's no fear. There's no doubt. He said, but every one of my angels, he said, are standing guard around this room right now. He said, and I'm standing here at the front, arms open wide. He said, nail scarred hands and all. He said, if maybe it's been a while or maybe it was just this morning. He said, but I'm inviting you. He said, I want you to come experience me again. He said, because the reason we preach hope is because he is our hope in the midst of a world that's turned upside down. Even though it's healing that I need in my body or in my mind, he said, I am that healing that you need today. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to begin to come. And what's going to happen is God is going to meet you right here. I promise you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know all the words because you know what? There are no right words. There are no wrong words. The only words you need are the words that's inside of you right now. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. You see, because when you acknowledge your need for Him in your life, what happens is your heart opens up a little bit and your mind is ready to receive what God has for you. The presence and the power of God is moving throughout this room right now. And I believe that God is going to begin to do some things here today. That if you need healing, God says it can happen. If you need deliverance, God said it can happen. If you need hope restored in your life, God says it can happen. He said, because I'm here today. This may be the first time, or it may be the hundredth time, but God's moving, and God wants to fill you with His Spirit right now. God wants to do it right now. I believe that God's presence is here in a very mighty way, and God is beginning to minister right now to so many hearts and lives, because what God can do in an instant, God says, if you'll allow me to do it right now, He said, I will do it. I'm willing to perform it. I'm willing to speak it in your life today. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.